This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fur Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Fur Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit of a follow-up from the last one that Jonathan and I did on And we get this question a lot about who or how do I choose a title company? And to some degree, you can say, oh, it doesn't really matter what, type, matter what title company you use or title agent. But the reality is there are pros and cons, and we deal with these on a somewhat regular basis. I had an email today that popped in my inbox that frustrated me about a, a title company doing what a lot of them do. What they do, they're, they're difficult, in particular when the buyer wants to terminate a contract. My client is the buyer. My client wants to terminate the contract. It's clearly within the time period allowed, and no one said otherwise. No one's fighting it. But the title company says, hey, just for our records, please have both buyer and seller sign off on the release of the earnest money. Where I'm sitting here like, this has been addressed in the PSA. The seller has no right to stop this. This is the, this is the opportunity for a seller to do a shakedown. And I, I had that happen on one occasion where we were looking at this as a retail project. And we were looking to build strip retail, but we needed tax incentives to make it work. So we got the property under contract. We had like 90 days DV. It was a big earnest money, like 25 grand or so. And the seller's attorney is cantankerous and annoying as heck. So it, it took more red line than one would normally expect to get the PSA signed. So anyway, we get it signed. We're in escrow. We got 25K up. We go talk to the city and say, we'd like to build strip retail. They go, we love it. Say, we need tax abatement. They say, we're open to it. Which property? Say, it's this property. They go, oh my gosh, that seller is the worst. That seller built the Walmart. Walmart was a super tiff, which meant the city had no taxes, but the city had to police it. And then 90% of the police calls were at that Walmart. So they hated that seller. There's, there's no way we're approving tax incentives that are going to allow that seller to be further enriched. So we said, okay, fair enough. We're like three weeks in. We go back to seller, title company, we say, we kill the deal. Seller says, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a litigation dispute. What do you mean there's a litigation dispute? Well, that was his way to shake us down. He said, I'm not going to agree to release your 25 grand unless you agree to chop it and give me half to pay for my legal because you guys run reasonable, which was crap. And the title company says, oh, there's a dispute. We're going to hold the money. It was clearly three weeks from the effective date and we had 90 days. And this wasn't a complicated contract issue where there was rolling or tolling dates as it pertains to receipt of title, receipt of survey, receipt of seller deliverables or government approvals. This was just a straight 90 days for effective date. Okay. Uh, so that really taught me a lesson about how much of a weasel a title agent can be. So it gets me back to how do you choose the right one and who chooses it? So who chooses it is negotiable. Some states or, or players will say, no, it's the buyer's responsibility and, and right. Others will say it's the seller. I'd say more often than not, it's probably the buyer. Some people don't care. Sometimes people choose it like, look, this person's already. Some pros, you know, of what how to choose someone is they've already touched the property previously, so they're probably faster and cheaper. They are local. That might be better. But in other instances, bigger is better. So sometimes you want to go for a bigger title company 
you know, the, the first nationals, the fidelities, the Chicago titles, the Stewart title, Madison title. And one of the reasons I often like the bigger ones is they do a lot of volume and they, they've seen it all before. You know, if you've got a 1031, you need to qualify an intermediary. If you've got that sort of holdback agreement, those additional services are another reason to choose a title company. A lot of locales, you have a local player, um, you know, John Smith Title Company. And if John Smith's on vacation that week, you're not closing that week. And that is really annoying. Also, John Smith may not understand some of these things, like escrow holdback or 1031, or may not have the resources to do it. So you generally you want to you want to look at a, a good company, figure out what the reputation is. If you if you've been in a transaction where they were professional, and professional to me is includes very responsive on email and open beyond nine to four thirty. Um, some of the better title companies are open till six p.m. Um, and their staff actually answers emails at eight, nine, and ten o'clock. Um, their wire transfers will even go to five or six p.m. As opposed to some places like now, oh, two o'clock wire cut off. Like really, um, they offer the variety of services. Um, so that you know, that's professional, and, and frankly, they're smart enough to read the contract and put the people who are supposed to be noticed in the email or in the letter. So a lot of times, as a lawyer, we're listed as a, no, a, a noticed party. You have to notify the client, the buyer, seller, and the two attorneys. Some title companies don't do that, or they messed it up. I had one today I had to correct, where our, our email handle is at the MHP law firm, and Jonathan was running point on this transaction, and they, the email was, and I'm the principal on the deal, so I'm on there. I'm on there as the buyer contact, or excuse me, the seller contact. Jonathan's on there as seller's attorney, but they put his email at Jonathan at the MHP law firm LLC.com. There's no LLC in our email handle. It says that in the contract. At no time have they ever received an email from at LLC. At nowhere have they seen a business card. They just they just invented it, added it, and there's all this traffic going back and forth. But that's not the most professional, uh, in my opinion. Um, so those are important. You know, fees. I think I really, honestly I don't really look at the fees because it's kind of de minimis. Sometimes on endorsements there can be a lot of fees, but generally just the uh, typically the seller will pay for the owner's title insurance policy. And the buyer will pay for the lender's policy. The buyer will pay for endorsements. Depending on local custom, there may be there may be transfer sales taxes or transfer stamps, often a seller expense. But typically, that's negotiating the contract. We try to negotiate that our client didn't pay for any of that crap, and then we don't care for local customers. Um, but title companies will often say, or will often have to agree to split the research costs for the owner and coverage reporter, preliminary title company, or the abstract of the. That's not that big of an expense, um, typically. I mean, typically for, I had to estimate the cost of an owner's policy. It's about a dollar per thousand of coverage. It's like I'm going through a transaction right now. It's a $5 million sale, uh, plus or minus $5,000 premium. Um, if you close, now there's research cost of maybe five or 600 of additional research. There's going to be, typically the seller will pay to record the deed. The buyer will pay to record the mortgage. And those, you know, there's a flood zone report. There's an overnight fee. There's a wire fee. There's a closing agent fee. They're not that much, frankly. Um, so I don't really care about the fees as much. I care about services they offer, reputation, which generally comes with size, um, the speed and accuracy with which they respond, and then I also care about what kind of level of control I can have. You know, can I get endorsements? I dealt with a company once on a deal in Nebraska, and 
in order to get the zoning endorsement, sometimes the zoning endorsement is all I need to do is I need to produce a somewhat reasonable to favorable zoning letter from the municipality. And for zero to $250, they will give me a zoning endorsement that in theory, if the next bureaucrat comes in and says, I don't like the old zoning letter, the city tried to take my property, I can draw down title insurance from the title company. Now, that would be a fight. Title insurance companies have entire cadres of lawyers to fight claims, but that's part of the benefit of a zoning endorsement. I'll have a whole other more detailed podcast on endorsements when I get in there. But in another city, the title company hired another outside attorney who said, we will give you the zoning endorsement if you can produce the original zoning ordinance, the original permit, the original plan, a current letter from the city, and you can get the city council to hold a public hearing. I'm not even making this up. And in producing a resolution authorizing and ratifying the perfect zoning status of the subject trailer park. He goes, if you can produce all that, we'll give you the endorsement for $500. I said, if I can produce all that in this time period, why would I need the endorsement from you? You're just being difficult. And, and had I known that you were going to give me endorsement basically no matter what, I might not have chosen that title company. Um, so that's that's something they have learned as well. Some of them are difficult on endorsements to fight you. Um, and then just generally their hours and availability are key to me. So those are some things I use to, to select them and kind of pre-select title companies. The process is essentially uh, normally the process is you get a contract signed, you send a you email a copy, sometimes you get it in original, but generally email a copy of PDF of the contract to the, the title company, to the seller, to the seller's counsel and to a broker and then at some point to your lender and say please open escrow and please send wire instructions and then you wire the money for the emd that's pretty pretty plain jane you can occasionally get the title company to sign a contract pros and cons of that but i'm leaning more and more towards it because the, the the story that i gave at the beginning of this episode where the seller was being an idiot and difficult i could have in theory and i've seen it happen doing this. I've seen the title company could have signed off the contract. I could put in the contract. Buyer shall select title company. Title company signs here and initials here, acknowledging that within 90 days of execution, the effective date of execution of the contract, buyer, for any reason or no reason, may terminate the contract and receive 100% of his purchase money without the permission of seller. Now, our typical contract says, yeah, without the permission of seller, this is a single, uh, single order. You don't need to get seller's permission, but title companies still do it because they like don't want to get sued. Like, well, we don't want the seller to come back to you, gave away that money. That was my leverage. So the way to really get the title company on the hook is to make them sign and initial that paragraph of the contract. Now, some of them won't do that. And it slows up your transaction. So if you're going to put that in there, you need a provision that says, in the event buyer cannot find a title company to do this within five days, buyer has another five days to find a title company. Or buyer can elect to uh, you know and remove this requirement title company that way you don't fall out of contract you don't you have a buyer's buyer's briefly put some money in property that didn't produce the title commitment especially when your inspection period is told based on receipt of the latter of title commitment survey seller deliverables and the title company is artificially delayed because you're arguing with the title zone so that is something that i'm leaning more and more towards all the time because um, it just ticks me off when the title companies are just like sheep. Like, oh, we don't want to have a dispute. Like, guys, 
you accepted escrow, you guys can read. You guys have lawyers on staff who also can presumably read. This provision specifically says, I don't need seller's permission. You can count the days. Frankly, you should also be countering the dates yourself. You should counter the dates to, say, to show and to say, look, this is three weeks in a 90-day period. Give Bird his money back. But no, still the seller is shaking down. So how do you deal with an unruly seller? I mean, it can be problematic. I mean, at some point you can get litigation, but at some point you can settle, but um, you got to be prepared. This is one reason I like smaller earnest money amounts. Not because I'm really unwilling to put it up or unwilling to show my commitment, because if seller breaches or seller becomes a prick, now they're slowing you down. So you may have to get a litigator involved. You may have to um, you know, get heated towards the title company, but title company often just takes the middleman position. They may say, oh, we'll give it to a court. And then if you have to sue, then they just, they just go to court and say, here, here's the 25,000 judge. You handle it, but we want to be out of it. So ideally, you get a good PSA form that gives you maximum leverage. And and part of that is you try to get a title company that you work with. So we used to work, when I was in my old law firm, with one title company and no one ever heard of it. I mean, I don't know if they had more than like three staff. And I, and I asked the supervising attorney at one point, why do you use this, this title company all the time and for big projects? And she's like, because Karen will do whatever I say. And not like, you know, cheating, but like she said, hey, Karen, uh, don't close yet. Hey, Karen, uh, go ahead and proceed, even though bank is waiting on this. Or, hey, Karen, go ahead and record in this order because I said so. And Karen did whatever she wanted, in part because it was a small you know, small town shop and Karen's like, oh, okay, that probably makes sense. Uh, even though it probably didn't in some instances. So that was, that was part of the jam too. But anyway, those are some of the key points um, of how to pick somebody. I also just Googled because I'm curious here, what, this is probably a residential base, what the internet says, how to choose a title company. See if they agree. Because they generally don't. No, I'm just kidding. Reputation, I agree. Professional experience, I agree. Fees, not as much. Office location, I don't care about office location. Nobody, nobody in their right mind goes to the title company anymore. Customer service, I mean, speed, that's part of it. I don't care if they're nice. They talk about cyber insurance. Honestly, I didn't think to ask about that. I assume that uh, Chicago Title has insurance and wire theft and all that kind of stuff taken care of. But overall, to me, the key is not, are they going to... You know, here's another article. It looks like the same sort of stuff. Um, to me, it's not whether or not they've got uh, a friendly guy at the desk that's, that, that greets you when you come in to get your red pen out. But it's what kind of endorsements they're going to give you, what kind of speed, what kind of accuracy, what kind of control are they going to let me have? Um, so proper opening, I mentioned, proper termination. Just read the contract. What's the contract say? Some people mess up all the time. Does the contract require continue, continuation notice, a termination notice? Is, it, is email service okay? Does it need to be in writing? How many days advance? Who needs to be copied? Do I need to return receipt requested? Do I need to do all that jazz? Um, when is the actual date? Is it New York time zone or is it LA time zone? And all that jazz. But that's just in the general blocking tackling of real estate is uh, into contracts. Just follow it. And then the other component is sometimes you don't get it the regular title company. You know, Iowa Attorneys Association has basically a, uh, extortion stranglehold, and they'll love me for saying that. Here. Um, you can't really go through title insurance in Iowa. You're supposed to go to Iowa Title Guarantee because the Iowa Bar Association has a monopoly on revenue for that. 
I personally think it's an inferior form of title insurance that costs the buyer more, slows the process, and has inferior insurance. But if I was an Iowa attorney working a grueling 32 hours a week, uh, I'd probably appreciate it. Other states, the Dakotas, the Carolinas, um, have some other odd title rules where you, you don't close a title company as often as you close at a closing attorney. Um, pros and cons to every system. Obviously, I don't know all the ins and outs of every state, um, just off the top of my head. But in general, uh, choosing a title company is not unimportant. Probably not the most important thing in the transaction. I'd say choosing a real estate lawyer is probably more importantly. Uh, more important, but uh, I digress and I have bias. But anyway, hopefully you learned something today. Uh, Until next time, thanks and God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.